What if our capacity to imagine has been so badly damaged by the information climate of our times that destruction is all we can see? What if deforming our ability to imagine the present is precisely what governments and power structures do to control us? And what if I told you we have the power to change this? I believe we do. To seize this power requires a radical change in perspective, however. To do so, we need to take one tool being vandalized before our very eyes, language, and reclaim it and redefine what it means to be an ethical citizen in the present moment. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to my sub-podcast, Words for Now and Later. We are here together with each other for episode H is for Hope. And those words that I just read are from the book, The Dictionary of the Undoing by John Freeman. This book was published in 2020, but written before the pandemic and before the racial justice uprising that we are facing at the moment. And this podcast, if you've not listened to it before, is probably best understood if you go back and listen to the first episode. But very briefly, I am taking Mr. Freeman's writing and sharing it with you, and then interpreting it or explaining it or applying it really to the present moment in which we live and into the future, the later part of the title, that we hope to move into. Today, as I mentioned, is H is for hope. And I'm so glad that Mr. Freeman uses this word in the book. And I think you're going to hear he uses it quite effectively and uses it, I think, in an interesting and maybe even somewhat unexpected way. So I'm going to quote him fairly extensively. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you here, but I will use his words more perhaps than in other episodes because I think they're so powerful. And I think the application to this present moment is uh, pretty self-explanatory, quite frankly. So here we go. He begins the chapter on page 45 by saying, Hope is less an emotion than a field of magnetism. Put bodies near each other and hope happens. Bodies tilting away from darkness. This is what hope really is. And it is so present in some places. You can feel it crackle like electricity. A power that isn't worth anything until it is agitating an action. He goes on a little further on the same page. Hope operates as a positive charge between people. And then it wants to move. Like all power, it wants to be transferred. One of the most effective ways to do this is to turn it into words. And just a quick little aside here, this theme of words being powerful as a mode of resistance and words when they are negated or depower, de taken, disempowered, if you will, uh, used by the government in that way causes oppression and causes the authoritarianism that I think we are continuing to see rising, not just in our country, but around the world. And in the next part of the chapter, Mr. Freeman addresses that. He says, government in tyranny break down words through lies, doublespeak, and using them as weapons. If you can attack language, he says, you can begin to uncouple the ability for people to mean anything to one another and in so doing, shut down the chance for hope to happen. In other words, when 
you use the doublespeak most famously named in 1984 by George Orwell, war is peace and love is hatred, that type of speech, or that the coronavirus is going away when it's clearly not, or when you use other falsehoods and lies and misdirection, it takes words and makes them unempowered anymore. And as Mr. Freeman is saying that when we lose our words in this way, quote, we become our worst fears. Fear doesn't require language. It works on images, on smells, on drum beats. You know, someone wants you to be afraid when they try to use language like a flickering image where language is vague and uncertain and unclear and ethereal. And it can be seen through because there's nothing there. There's no truth there. There's no reality there. There's nothing there but words and sounds and fury signifying nothing. Whether that is yelled at a rally, whether that is tweeted on a Twitter feed, whether it's echoed time and time and time again on a network or a website, the words become meaningless. Because some people are going to believe them just because the speaker is saying them because of their unerring, unending devotion towards said speaker or speakers. But others are no longer going to believe them because they know the truth. They know the facts and they know the words are empty. Stay with me, if you will, through this short break and we'll return and talk about what hope does and how we are in this moment of great hope and what that means for us going forward. And thank you for staying with me through the break. We were talking before the break about how when we lose words because an authoritarian, anti-democratic government forces them to mean nothing, fear is enacted because fear doesn't need words. Well, Mr. Freeman goes on to address this by saying on page 48, we move through this fear by gathering with others and using words with agreed upon meanings. We keep the power of language alive by using it truthfully as if it matters. Technology and the internet can help because quote, it can move power when bodies cannot move. But going further on page 49, because the internet is not a collection of bodies, its ethics can carry them away from decency. Uh, yes, we've seen that. But he goes on to say that the remedy for this caroming away from decency is to step away from the tech and to get out into the streets. Quote, to stand and browse and pray and eat and walk and be among one another. Page 49. He goes on, a protest, after all, is an attempt to turn a group of bodies into a sentence saying, we want more. Page 50. We'll come back to that thought, but let's finish what Mr. Freeman has to say in the rest of the chapter, also on page 50. In that sense, protests may begin in anger, but they often bend toward hope. 
This is why governments must so forcefully control protests, because, quote, governments know even more than their citizens that hope is the thunderstorm before the reign of change. And even schoolchildren know life cannot be sustained without water. So, I love that. Love that. That a protest, after all, is an attempt to turn a group of bodies into a sentence saying, we want more. And in that sense, protests begin in anger, but they often bend towards hope. Tomorrow, Monday, will be four weeks since... George Floyd was lynched by a white police officer who, as he knelt on Mr. Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes, he had his hand in his pocket as three other cops watched. Yeah, there was anger. There was anger in the cities that erupted. Here in Columbus, people smashed windows and did things that were angry actions. And the police responded in kind with anger and curfews. But not long after that, within a few days here in Columbus, people started to gather peacefully. I was there on a Saturday at the Capitol State Building, State House, and people gathered peacefully. But the police responded with violence, with tear gas, including tear gassing our U.S. representative, Joyce Beatty, as she tried and was captured on video trying to de-escalate a situation between a cop and a protester, but she was pepper sprayed, and so was a large group. I wasn't there when the pepper spray flew, but I wasn't there much before it did. And I saw the cops actually getting ready, closing traffic, setting things up to do that. But you know what? As the protests have continued, and tomorrow again will be four weeks in my city and many other cities, the hope has grown because the electricity has grown because the volume of energy increases. That's the amazing thing about hope is that when there is a little bit like a spark, it just continues to burn and things happen. Things change in unexpected ways. One of the most amazing things here in Columbus is that statues of said explorer, conquistador, slave trader are coming down and even the Columbus Day holiday is no longer going to be celebrated here in our county where Columbus is Juneteenth will be celebrated instead as a county-wide holiday and those are just a couple of changes and there's many more that I can list and there's still so many more to do and I can tell you myself as a white person I am changing It's taken me a while, 50 years, to have my eyes opened to the racism that my silence has allowed to happen, to my white privilege that I enjoy without knowing it each and every day. And I'm sorry it's taken me that long, this long. And I hope little by slowly with teachers and mentors and community and reading and reflection and prayer that I can continue to grow and change and have a positive influence. And I will continue to protest, to be on the streets as I can peacefully, because I believe in that more so than what violence does. And I will vote and I will work for candidates who support this change, 
who support the more that we need in this country right now, not just against racism, but against poverty, against everything and anything that keeps people oppressed, including even the big one, the C word, capitalism. Because a lot of this has to do with money and class and power and corruption. So I end this with a sense of hope. And I hope that the words have inspired you like they've inspired me. I hope that you go to my edtechemergent.com website for more um, resources on this. And I hope that you are growing and learning as I am during this time. And I hope that this energy, this electricity, this thunderstorm that is building and growing will provide rain that will wash away the injustice, that will wash away the blood that has been spilt on these uh, lands and places and society, and that it will water seeds of the coming, the growing kingdom of God, which, as Jesus himself said, is like a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny little thing. But when it's watered and it grows and grows and grows, and I hope that we're in the midst of that. It seems like we are, but only time will tell. So thank you for sharing your time, listening, and blessings, and peace.